welcome to the Bronovo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. All right, everybody, welcome along to this week's episode of the Bronovo Podcast. As always, it's your host, Thomas Pierce. My guest this week is Michael King Jr. Michael is a licensed mental health therapist, inspirational speaker, and author. He specializes in working with men to win against anger and anxiety. And through therapy, he strategizes with his clients to create a winning recovery action plan. Uh, He provides solutions focused on CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness-based stress reduction for anxiety, depression, and PTSD. And why um, this is also a really timely and very relevant conversation is that uh, Michael's motto is men need self-care too. So he has acknowledged the um, skills gap between how men and women can identify and process strong emotions. And he also has a book focused on it. So um, The Tribe of Men is uh, Michael's new book that helps men understand how to evolve their masculinity and reach their potential. So with all that, Michael, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the Bro Nouveau podcast. Hey, Thomas, thank you for the opportunity to speak to you, to the podcast and be a part of this great show. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's it's uh, kind of rare that I find someone who is uh, so well aligned, I would say, with the mission and, and what we're doing. Um, so I just wanted to learn to start off a little bit about the work you do. You know, and, and what's your what's your why for being in this space? And, and also, how did you come to have this um, specialty in working with, with men and, and masculinity? Well, thank you. So I've been in mental health for 20 years, but my, my why initially started when wanting to fathers and sons to have healthy relationships. And, you know, I had a I had a, a good I had a tense to really good, great, loving relationship with my dad, like. Uh, along the ways, especially in the teenage years, we got a little tense. But as I was a young adult and started going on with my life and marriage and family, you know, he and I have gotten a lot closer. And so but before he passed, you know, I'm glad we were able to make some amends because there was some tension there. So being able to have um, to help fathers and sons have strong relationships, that's kind of the why I got to the mental health space, um, working in uh, mental health and social work in various aspects from community clinics to um, psychiatric schools where I worked with a lot of families, done some family therapy and some individual counseling. And that pretty much was helping again, dads and sons have solid relationships. And, and, and I've gotten to the space of working with men that actually is over the last year. Even though I was in mental health for a while, I didn't really have that niche of working with men and that came from uh, just going through life experience, um, experiencing a divorce, you know, co-parenting two kids, a 17-year-old and a 13-year-old, and having a civil relationship, a good relationship with my, um, with my, with my ex-wife. And we are able to, you know, even though we were divorced, we were not divided. So the family just restructured. And, you know, maturing as a man was a big part of that. You know, when the family restructures and goes through a divorce or separation, it can be a, a tremendous impact on the individuals and the kids. So 
based on the journey of going through that process, some lessons I learned about myself, um, after a while, I wanted to really focus in on working with men, um, anger management, anxiety, depression, breakup recovery, healthy masculinity, you know, um, helping them unlearn some of the things that they may have learned and trying to find ways that um, not only through self-care, but having a, a great support system that the man can work on their personal development. You know, because I think like there are a lot of great men out here that want to protect and provide for their families. Right. But sometimes they put their personal development and personal growth to the side. And I think that if there can be a balance of all that, then uh, personal growth and development, then a man can continue to protect and provide for the for their family or even protect and provide for themselves. Right. Because if they're not in relationship, but they still have goals or personal growth and development, and and that's important, too. So not just guys in relationships and guys in families, but for guys in general to kind of find out their own why and find their purpose along this journey of life. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I'm sorry that, you know, you lost your you lost your father. Thanks for sharing that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's that's an interesting thing. And it always comes back to not always, but almost all of the men I speak with, and I'm not a father, so I don't know this, but especially the guys who are dads, it does come back to this providing obligation is maybe not quite the right word because obligation implies some kind of coercion, but just the need or a desire to give the family the best life possible. And structurally, how do you think that, or what do you think about that? Uh, pressure or that internal sense of uh, responsibility that, that men feel because, you know, even in your situation, for example, you're not married to your ex-wife anymore, but I'm sure you both are uh, hopefully, you know, as long as she's healthy and, and all good, also is employed and, and working. So it's not like it's all on you financially, for example, but a lot of men do feel like it is all on them. So why do you think that is? And, and, and is that a, a productive paradigm to look at, look at the life through. Well, I, yeah, I think that because of traditional roles, right. And we still have some of those in place where like guys are supposed to be the breadwinners. Right. And some of that is healthy, but a lot of it isn't because there should be shared responsibilities, particularly it depends on where you are living as well, right? The economics of the area that you live do play in a factor and having a two income, uh, household, you know, can be very beneficial with getting like basic needs met, like food, shelter, clothing, you know, activities. But I think a lot of those traditional roles have been just passed down to us from eons, right? And guys, uh, feel the pressure to, um, provide. And sometimes to their detriment, right? So they guys are working long hours. Um, guys are trying different opportunities and projects, and and um, and then putting those uh, either financial gains or um, actually, yeah, putting either financial gains or even professional growth and development over their like over their care, right? So guys are sometimes burning themselves out trying to, um, you know, burn the candle on both ends, trying to uh, get ahead, whether to pursue goals, achieve goals, but 
maybe not so necessarily finding the balance. I think innately just it's within us to want to be able to work and, and be productive and, um, and to have people that we're responsible for. And so I think just to traditionally those roles have um, been placed upon us. But I think that over the course of the time, things are evolving, but that's still innate responsibility to provide and protect. I mean, that's, I think that's in our DNA as guys. For sure. And how does that work with, in your own experience, say of, of being a parent, how does that work interacting with the mother's innate uh, instincts? You know, and, and is that a situation where, you know, you ha- I imagine that was a learning situation too, because, you know, no one knows what to expect with having a kid, right? So it's like, before you know it, the kids are here, and then I have all these new feelings coming up, and then my my partner also has all these new feelings coming up, and we have to navigate that. I imagine that's kind of complicated. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it can be, you know. Um, they are, you know, most people don't do a, a, a deep dive into the books to prepare what, you know, parenting is and what the roles would be, you know. People just... A lot of people live by the experience and you live and learn and grow. I mean, you can hear someone share their experience with you about their experience in parenting, but to go through it for yourself, you know, with a partner, um, is, is truly unique, right? So it's important to have a support system in place so that you can tap into someone's knowledge and expertise or just to even vent to when, when you have uh, questions or when it gets frustrating. But it's definitely important that communication is a key to uh, uh, overcoming a lot of different challenges or learning. So being able to communicate with your partner, even prior to family planning, um, uh, even to being communicating on what, um, what the needs are, what does a partnership look like in terms of developing a household, managing a household together. And before you even bring kids involved, you know, definitely having a um, good communication about what, budgeting, about planning, problem solving, um, uh, about what life will look like when, as the kids and responsibilities kind of grow, trying to have as best as you can have these conversations ahead of time versus by like kind of going by the seat of your pants and kind of just the we'll see kind of method, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. And the, the legacy of that or the kind of the, the impulse to be the provider also gets us into the territory of this, this uh, man box conditioning we have. And that's a term that you used in our pre recording call that kind of stuck out to me. So what is the man box a- in your definition? Well, in my definition, the man box is that society stereotypical place view of um, men protect and provide, keep your emotions inside. If you have a problem, you just kind of keep pushing through it, keep your head down and keep grinding. Um, Don't show any signs of weakness. Um, Anything that's like feminine is bad. Right. And so um, which includes talking about emotions or expressing yourself with your true feelings. It's like looked at as weird or bizarre Um, trying to fit in in order to get along with other guys, right? So the man box has a tendency to, it, it can nef- kind of necessarily stifle growth 
I think um, from my experiences learning over a course of my years, you know, I'm just 47. I'll be 48 this year. So I've just been on this earth a few years. But understanding that some of the um, some of the tools that I was taught uh, wasn't necessarily serving me as I learned over the course of time, especially in developing relationships, learning that actually the number one relationship is the relationship with yourself. So I've, you know, in the man box is sometimes trying to get uh, that looking for a trophy wife to try to impress the guys, right? Doing these uh, macho heavy things to, in order to impress guys or to be um, uh, sometimes verbally aggressive, sometimes uh, that aggression that just kind of comes out as, as a form of leadership, which is not always actually healthy, you know, um, having like a type A, but being really rigid and not accepting of, of, of anything that's outside of what that person would expect a man to be. Totally. You know, something that struck me is that at least among, you know, straight men, there's this all kinds of uh, homophobic tendencies, right? Right. And, but then as you just mentioned, so much of the status chasing is actually to impress other men, which is pretty ironic. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. you, 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 uh, you know, put queer people, not you obviously, but you know, the culture kind of puts queer people as less than, but also we want to have the nicer house, the nicer car, the nicer, whatever, you know, it's kind of, uh, kind of ironic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, being able to evolve, like I'm, I'm not, See, a guy, to me, evolution is being accepting of people. Is that things, accepting that things change, right? Um, while still respecting the fact that, um, the, you know, there are people that it, just show traditional roles and values fill. And so, and being able to not demean, downplay, or hate or um, demonstrate any type of dem- discrimination against someone who may not look like you or it, it, it um, doesn't demonstrate masculine behaviors like you, a person, someone who is more rigid may think they are, but being accepting of the whole range of masculinity and, 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 and not just kind of pigeonholing um, men and just to just a tough guy, aggressive, heavy muscles, you know, emotionally limited, but, you know, just kind of really uh, allowing ourselves to be f- free from that and being a- accepting of others, right. And allowing ourselves to learn and grow and, and, and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, yeah, just to really learn and grow and to be, um, oh my goodness. Well, just saying more open, more open mm-hmm. and honest and about, um, the, 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 how our culture is evolving while we can uh, respect others. So it's just, it's mainly about evolution and respect. And that's, I think that breaking out of the man box can be a lot of good to help us men evolve and understanding that, um, our potential is beyond their traditional roles and views are evolving. And there's strength behind that. Like there's strength behind it being expressive, right? There's strength behind being vulnerable 
right? So in some, in some ways in the man box, people aren't vulnerable or, or transparent or even true to themselves sometimes. But when you're vulnerable in terms of finding a safe space that you can have an outlet to someone that you can, so a guy can talk about some of his insecurities or challenges, maybe providing for himself or providing for others. And some of how those, um, maybe the disappointments in the past or maybe the anxieties about the uncertainties of the future are impacting him in the space today. If a guy is willing to address some of those challenges that he's having internally, that's, that's strength. That's not really a sign of weakness. Someone accepting, you know what? I, I got it. I have a problem and, um, you know what? I'm going to need some help to solve through this, to solve through, to solve the problem. To me, that's an example of strength. I agree. And one of the man box examples I can think of and a nice parallel or analogy to understand it is, is when we talk about uh, bullying, for example, like bullying is understood by most people. I think it's kind of common knowledge that if, if uh, someone's a bully, it means they don't have a lot of self love. You know, if they can't accept other people or they, they put others down, then there's a lack of self love there. And I think, the same thing can be put, said of how men are conditioned because by judging others, it's indicative of something missing inside, right? Something, some element of self-acceptance isn't there. And I think it's because with the whole man box we're put in, it's discouraged to be fully human and feel, you know, cause the things we're describing to me, I think that being vulnerable, being expressive, being honest, being able to say, I'm sorry, being able to ask for help. These things are all squarely in the spectrum of being human. And if we're telling individuals to not go there, then we're denying them their humanity in some sense. So it makes sense that then intra-men, there's kind of this constant feedback loop of putting each other down because unless someone has been encouraged to love themselves, they're not going to be able to, to offer that acceptance to other people. So that's kind of what I was thinking about, you know, uh, kind of analogous to a bully situation. Yeah, definitely. Now, now, now there is some aspects too, like we had mentioned, like putting each other down, like now in the black community, we have this, um, there's this game called playing the dozens, which is kind of, you know, like I say, ragging on each other at times, right? And you don't in a jokingly, supposed to be lighthearted way. But I, I think sometimes that those things can, are necessary, right? Because you need, we need to have healthy social networks and social outlets to be able to, as men, to be able to, um, again, feel those human connections, right? But when those outlets, start to become unhealthy, whether, whether the, the, the playing the dozens or the ragging starts to impact someone's sense of self or self-esteem or somebody kind of keeps digging maybe to project some, um, because they, they want to um, maybe displace some anger that they're experiencing, but they want to kind of target. So when it starts to start to demean or, um, starts to become you know, like really insensitive, then it can be really problematic. In terms of, you know, guys socializing and ragging on each other and stuff. But, um, their nesting definitely needs to be a healthy level of support system that, um, guys need to have. We need to have social outlets with each other in order to help us continue to grow, learn about the, 
each other's in each other's backgrounds in order to try to move through, especially some of the some of the challenges that we currently face in society right now, you know, with uh, whether it's um, equality rights or social justice um, activism that that needs to be done to take place to kind of bring a, a healing to to amongst the races in our nation um, in the different communities. And I think that that's important too. So that I see that there are, we have a lot of human commonalities and that if we can continue to work on developing those bonds, then we can try to decrease hate and, and, and hopefully, you know, end erate and racism. And I think men play a great role in that by getting to know each other, like, <clears throat> forms like we are here, you know, you and I mm-hmm. meeting here through this, through this forum, uh, and, and, and being able to, uh, have like real, you know, discussions about how we can continue to evolve as men, which will ho- hopefully have a great impact on our culture overall. I agree completely. And I think the identity lens is really interesting too, because, you know, oftentimes when I talk about my experiences of masculinity, right? It's largely going to be among other white people. Not always, but generally thinking about like my earliest social bonds, right? It's with white people. And so then also, as you identified both within races, within communities, and then between races and communities, that's a whole nother layer of what everyone's bringing to the table. You know, it's just just a very important thing to keep in mind. Um, And... Yeah, I agree, man. I think I think that we do have a strong role to play in ending racism and discrimination as men because the, kind of the way I, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this because the way I kind of see it is that at this point, not everyone, but these power structures that we've identified still exist to some extent, you know, um, as far as patriarchal households, uh, men having more seats at the figurative and literal tables. So if, you know, men can lead by example and have dialogues that do kind of end discrimination or kind of at least build bridges, it's very impactful. Um, and it's funny cause I feel like one of the, one of the ways that discrimination and racism is, is perpetuated is that, it's not encouraged to try to actively do that. You know, there's, I don't know. There's like, there's no one out there saying, Hey, like go build a community with, with your neighbor of a different race. You know, that's not like, it's not like encouraged, which to me is kind of interesting because it seems like that would be a good way to, you know, make safe, safe is spaces safer. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Getting to know like people from different, ethnic groups getting to know each other is very powerful. You know, I have, I have a story that like um, will always stick with me when I was in the um, boy Scouts many years ago, actually I'm an Eagle Scout. And, but before I became Eagle Scout, this was probably like in 88 or 87. Um, I, I was, we were in summer camp and the troop that I belonged to was an all black troop. Like, and back when I grew up in my area, like really, I didn't really get a chance to get out of the community much. So I thought America was mostly black, but mm-hmm. I didn't, when I was in scouting, it helped me see, we traveled around, we went to different summer camps. We traveled to different um, jamborees and functions. And I was like, okay, I see that America is a more diverse place. And then one year, one summertime, summer camp, we were, 
um, we were away at this camp called Goshen, right? This is a popular scouting camp. And, uh, we were assigned a camp leader, right? Which was, uh, was, was a young, uh, white guy. He was, he was a scout, right? So he was an older scout and he was assigned to us. And, uh, it was, you know, he, he was, he was actually great. He hung out with us a lot. You know, we had a really, really great troop. Uh, we would win awards for being, um, they would have awards for the cleanest camp or they would have other awards for like, um, they would have skills awards and then they would have like swimming awards and different like sports type things as well. But they had a lot of like not tying awards and, and we did really well that week. And I know, um, towards the end of that week, the guy, I'll never forget this, but the young man, I forgot his name, but I won't forget the experience because he stood up in front of our troop and he said, you know, after seeing you guys one week and being with you guys, he realized that his mom and dad was teaching him the wrong things because his mom and dad prior to them was teaching him that, you know, black people were lazy, that they were that, you know, they was all these stereotypical things that that you hear that was kind of fostering hate and bigotry. And he stood up. I'll never forget. He stood up. He had tears in his eyes and he cried. And he realized his mom and dad was raising him to hate black people. And then wow. everything that he taught, they were telling him was wrong. Just in that one week, we showed him that, you know, that that was wrong. So I thought that was very powerful. So like when people of, when you get to know, especially white people, they get to know more people of color that can, that can really help start to build um, some, some bridges because as much as they may think, even though slavery has been over since, well, technically on paper, to kind of over, well, since 1863, right? That's what the history books say. But we still feel a lot of residual effects of slavery to this day. And it would probably be like, I thought during my generation, I was like thinking that, okay, yeah, we're getting ahead. You know, we, oh, not getting ahead. We're just trying to close the gap. But if you think about it, 400 plus years of slavery, been out of slavery since 1863, kind of technically. But then, on this day of Juneteenth, it was still like people, slaves was, were free, but it wasn't until two years later that they found out that they were actually free. And so I said all that to say that there are a lot of things still in place in the form of institutional racism that kind of still impact us today in terms of creating the divide and are kind of fueling some of the hate. Whether it's the hate crimes that like the shooter in Buffalo did earlier this year or over the course of the years um, of the um, of hate crimes that's been committed, you know, it's um, I think platforms like this and having a conversation like this and more more com- conversations like if, uh, about maybe diversity committees and corporations and and then, you know, people talking to their kids about um how we can um bridge the racial divide in this country is is needed you know um yeah i think i kind of went off on a tangent a little bit but i think that guys do play a major role in trying to bridge this 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 gap totally and well said thank you and yeah absolutely i mean it is juneteenth observed today so certainly an important and relevant topic and yeah i i agree man and, and one thing I've noticed in my own kind of self-education is that white people will use this coded language 
to convey race without identifying it. it's like one thing will be like not acknowledging race is a, is a part of it because like if I'm with <laughs> a group of white people and we're all buddies, you know, like no one's like, Hey, isn't it kind of weird? We're all white. You know, no one, no one's saying that. And that is part of the perpetuation, I believe. <laughs> and then also, you know, among like white people will use this, like, um, like, Oh, like I was taught, I met someone and they were saying, Oh, my, one of my kids, you know, was working for, uh, in a job in the city, you know, and you can imagine how that was. And I was like, no, actually I can't like, can you elaborate? Like, what do you mean? You know, like, what are you, what are you saying right now? You know? And that's part of it too, is like implying that like, Oh, it was the city implying it was more chaotic, implying there were less white people or more black people, for example, like that's kind of where my mind went. And it's like calling out those things of being like, so no, I don't know what you mean. What are you saying? You know? as an example of kind of how these things are perpetuated um, and these myths, these myths about race, you know, and on the, yeah. yeah on the, a lot like of stereotypical the, beliefs. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Super, I, no, yeah, go ahead. I'm the, I'm, I mean, clash there with you, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So like the stereotypical beliefs, right? Because I think that even, even on, on, I think that, yeah, well, white people need to challenge their own stereotypical beliefs, Right. And then, you know, and we all kind of can as well. But if they take the lead, you know, changing some of the beliefs, changing it, because your, your behaviors and the actions start with the thoughts. So challenging mm. how they identify, identifying your own deeply embedded, like they call it implicit biases, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because, right, they may not, it, it may not be to the surface, right? Maybe kind of still kind of subconscious some of these, um, stereotypical beliefs but when they do you know kind of come up whether they manifest in you or they manifest in a conversation in a group you know being able to tend to speak up about it you know in a way that uh, brings a, a, a unique conversation to the table you know and i and i get it can be challenging especially if you're in a group of 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 of, of, of friends your wife friends and maybe not everybody might not be on the same page with that but but to be able to challenge that is a powerful, it can be empowering. Um, it can help bridge the gap. And it's, it's, it's a lot of work that we still need to do. <laughs> Definitely. It's a lot of work that we, totally. a lot of hard work too. A lot of hard work because it, it seems like some of the hate is still that hate that existed back in the Willie Lynch slave times. It's still kind of there, you know, and, and it lives in order for us to, I thought in my lifetime we'd be here, but I think even, I don't even think in my kid's lifetime or even my grandkids lifetime, I think this is going to be, mm. it, it's going to be something that we would continue to need to uh, address, you know, in different forms and ways. Agreed. And I, I think it does kind of tie into the skills we're trying to build because from a, white person's perspective it requires acknowledging oh yeah like i was brought up in this culture that creates another i was in this space where either explicitly or implicitly i was taught and conditioned that other people are different and maybe i was getting one message at home which is that 
we respect everyone, you know, and a more positive message, but maybe at school or in the town or wherever the heck we were, we're getting a different message. So that is kind of what's part of, I think, stalling the progress is that progress requires self-reflection and realizing, hey, I have a role to play in this or I have things to change about myself. Um, and then, yeah, on the legacy of slavery, I think that's a really interesting topic that also is very nuanced that doesn't get enough play because the thing that made it stick out to me was, or hit home for me was that, okay, my parents were born in the 60s. That means that within a hundred years of their birth, a hundred years previously, slavery existed in this country. When they were born, there were people alive who lived and experienced slavery. So to me, that direct link kind of makes it so much more real. It's like, this is not like some far away, you know, like this is pretty relatively recently and shorter of a distance from that, from that institution being alive in this country. That's less time than the whole country has been around. You know, it's like, we haven't even hit the, the equal point yet in the, in the timeline. No. <laughs> Right. right. You know, so this whole idea of like we shouldn't talk about it or we can't talk about solutions is is baloney. Yeah. Yeah, and and I mean and I think let me just say this though, as we go in a little bit, because I, I do know that, you know, I just wanted to say this, like not all white people are the enemy. Mm-hmm. Right. And I knew no that like not all black people are our friend. We have the same mm-hmm. in our community. So mm-hmm. you gotta kinda judge people by their heart and character. Mm-hmm. Right. And and to think, but yeah, but we've been slavery technically on on paper ended eighteen sixty three, and this is twenty twenty two. So I mean, it's like maybe what a hundred? My math nine, hundred and nineteen years, kind of like you know, or something like my math is a little bit off. That's why I'm in mental health, not math. <laughs> but yeah, the numbers don't don't add up. So. Um, and I guess this thing I would say, it's good that we need to have more conversations like this because I know personally, like when we hear now, I, I understand the, um, hearing some other historical events in the, in the, in the, in the country, they're like, never forget, never forget certain mm, other history. Interesting. But, but then a major piece of the content, you know, it's like, well, you know, kind of forget that. It's forget okay. about that. Like, you know, and it's not about shaming. I'm mean, trying to say that because I think that's, that's a good too. It's not about shame. It's not about hate. It, but it's just about an acknowledgement. So then we can truly like move forward. Like, because if you like never forget one thing, like never ever forget. And that happened, you know, 10, 20 years ago. But the thing that impact that still leaves a lasting legacy on a country, you're like, ah, well, you know, yeah, you're, you're free, you know kind of get over it. That's kind of how it feels sometimes like from our end to our lens. Like, you know, you got some advancements, it was, you know, but the thing is, do we really, really, we still kind of really battling the same for civil liberties and civil justice. And like, technically like voting rights aren't guaranteed. They have to be voted on every, like, uh, I forget, Maybe every decade or so, they just did a vote so we can keep voting rights, right? So there are some things that they're like some of the systems that are in play that are still, you know, make totally. such a um, polarizing um, topic in this in, in our country. Absolutely, man. I mean, like you can't have a um, 
felony conviction and vote. Okay, so until very recently, marijuana possession and you know possession of crack or cocaine was a federal or a um a more serious crime. Uh, yeah. At which point you cannot vote. Okay, who was affected by the war on drugs? Not mostly white people, <laughs> you know. So that's yeah. a very direct recent link, and these things are, are really—it's a web of them. So, mm-hmm. I guess from a solutions perspective, you know, people talk about reparations. People talk about a lot of different solutions. You know, from from where you sit, whether it be policy or just more interpersonal level. What's a kind of concrete step you think that if more individuals were taking, we could kind of promote some healing? Well, then you definitely getting to know more people of color, right? Um, is a great step and it can be in the form of mentorship, right? I'm, I must say a lot of my opportunities that I, that I've got, especially like going to college for me, it was, you know, it was a white man. Matter of fact, coach Roger Erica gave me an opportunity to um, to attend Towson University you know, back in the days. And um, so I think that in, in the organizations, in the corporate world organizations, that I think that companies need to have a diversity committee. And right? I think that um, in major universities, there needs to be diversity and inclusion committees or uh, um, uh, a liaison that's in charge of, um, you know, ec- equity, equity, equity and um, inclusion. Um, I think kids talking to talking to their kids about um, race, but from the aspect of you know, contributions, like, again, I don't think it's something to shame. We're not looking to shame people, you know, for the history of this country. I mean, we, no one can change the history. But in order to help have open discussions, to be accountable and, and not act like we're trying to forget the history, that part of history, I think that that will mean a lot to helping mend, you know, mend, uh, mend the bonds. Uh, I think that when there's hate crimes, definitely, you know, I think the hate crime laws help. I definitely think that, um, you know, that's a whole nother piece in terms of policing of communities, but having um, those hate crimes and laws to be able to protect um, people in a place to try to like um, to try to diminish anybody shooting somebody just or killing someone just because of the color of their skin. You know, I, um, those are just a couple ways, but definitely trying to you know, mentors, getting to know people of color, including diversity in the workplace, diversity in um, committees into the schools and among, in, among uh, among the leadership, you know, and then, but specifically if people can challenge their own stereotypical beliefs, I think that's a big start starting with the heart, you know, say do some heart surgery in order to, <laughs> so we can start to move, you know, as a collective and making progress towards it, eliminating racism. Well said, man. And I think this is a good learning lesson too, with the new holiday, you know, Juneteenth observed today. So what does that holiday mean for you? You know, cause I think it's good to like, um, Memorial day was recently, you know, to understand what is Memorial day about. So what, what does this mean to you? This, this holiday, what does it, um, what does it represent? Well, it, it represents more 
progress in the in moving in the right direction to acknowledge the contributions that the African and African Americans have made um, to this country to uh, development some of the financial foundations that it has. Um, it's 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 acknowledgement saw that you know the the struggle continues in terms of uh, looking for true equality and what that means. Um, it, it, you know it, it. You know, hopefully, we can eventually one day we will have like things like these hate crimes and injustices that are, that are happening just with people just dying just because of the color of their skin. <clears throat> you know, one day I will I would really hope to, to that that would end. Uh, you know, it's like, <clears throat> so being, it's, it's interesting because this Juneteenth really does celebrate the slave freedom, right? But we can, I, I wanted to also help us connect to like a heritage that we as African people have brought to this country and to, to be able to recognize uh, again, like not only the financial foundation that this country has been built off of, but also the contributions that we made. Like, like for example, like my dad is a, was a, is an army vet, right? He was a veteran, and there's been many people of color that you know served their country, served it proudly, and you know to serve the country and then come back home and then be treated less than, you know those those things um, kind of you know st- still hurt. But Juneteenth, having this celebration now, there are just a federal holiday, but, you know, not everything kind of shuts down like on other holidays. But it's an acknowledgement. It's a good um, step to continue to make progress, you know. And I definitely think that conversation is so I found it's timely that we had uh, we scheduled for the day. I, we didn't even I actually didn't yeah. know be Juneteenth, yeah. but it just happened to be. But it's important to um to keep again just keep and have an open, honest dialogue about um about race and over not to shame, but just to say, hey man, you know, just just to kind of you know the level playing ground. And <clears throat> sometimes from our perspective, uh, at least this is my opinion, right? I can't speak for the whole race on this one. But it's it's the it's the people in power that need to uh, um, distribute the. So what I mean is <clears throat> a lot of this is a white discussion, right? So like white people being able to talk up, speak up publicly, like um, you know, again, uh, and trying to help address like which they have, like um, people like Heather Heyer, who was um, I, you know, she was uh, she's the martyr. She was the person who was get killed in the Charlottesville a few years ago when they were having uh, the rally, you know, so there's been, there's people that are help us with our cause. And again, this is to keep speaking up and, and we can try to continue. And this Juneteenth holiday is an example of an acknowledgement. And hopefully we can just keep building off of this, you know, not just make it just a holiday for a day off, but to have meaningful conversations and discussions that lead to real change and real diversity and, and equitable distribution of resources and, and, um, and real change that we continue to work towards, even though I know it's probably won't happen in my lifetime or my kid's lifetime, but we can still continue to pursue true equity. Amen, man. Yeah. And thank you for being here. It's a, it's a privilege to be able to have you 
you know, on this day and to talk about it because yeah, it is. It, I don't want to say it's a rare discussion, but it's a discussion that, you know, an individual like me has to go seek out, you know, and build, build a more diverse community, build more connections um, to hear these perspectives because, you know, that's the thing is like, again, getting back to what I said about the tendency of white people to not acknowledge race, that kind of keeps it in the box. You know, we talk about the man box and I think the like white racial comfort boxes is similar in that sense is that you have, to, we have to kind of, you know, <laughs> peek our heads up and <laughs> knock down the wall. <laughs> um, but yeah, so thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all of that, both on the mental health front when it comes to unpacking condition norms and that the man box and also, you know, kind of destigmatizing vulnerability and also educating and having a discussion on race uh, on this timely day too, and kind of some practical advice, you know, to way to ways to build connection. And also what I also heard is that to not be afraid of acknowledging biases, you know, it's okay. Like we, none of us created this structure, none of us perpetuated or perpetuated the past, you know? So it's like, it's not, there doesn't need to be a fear of acknowledging and dealing with that. And I think the way you approach it is very level-headed and, and calm. And that's what we need because most people are quick to get defensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is all just, you know, conversations about true equality, right? Like we can't change the past, unfortunately. And all the people that have been lost their lives just for being black, you know, we can't change the past. But when we have, discussions and, and sometimes they're, they're not going to always be fuzzy and nice, right? But they can lead to real um, diversity and inclusion. And, 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 and I think that would have a positive impact on, on the overall mental health of, of society, right? Where we can get to know um, our commonalities and be human with each other, Right. Versus letting hate kind of take over and kind of direct. But I, so I think overall it will have a great benefit on overall on, on the mental health of our society and culture, you know, giving guys outlets, giving women outlets, giving people outlets to be able to have create healthy support systems that are, that are, you know, diverse, but they can be, um, that can lead to real change and, and, and that's, you know, really healthy. That can be really healthy. And, and mental health is uh, is important and vital, especially in these times right now, man. You're having that psychological, social, emotional well-being, you know, something that I think we all should strive towards on a daily basis as we deal with life's ups and downs. Well said. Well, Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. We're going yeah, to pivot over to the... The Spark by Seek Discomfort game. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, cool. So we'll each get a question. We'll get we'll get a different question. Um, and you have a choice. So you can go first or second. Yeah. So I'll go first. All right. I like it. Yeah. Courageous. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think I fear the most in life? So you, I'm... I, Am I yeah, I you guess or? I guess this one is a. Uh, I guess we could. How about we'll just each do this one question, so we'll answer about each other. 
Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, so I, I I'm gonna take a guess at what you. Okay. Uh, let's see. I think. Uh, let's see. You fear most in life is 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 um. Oh my God. It's probably motorcycles. <laughs> motorcycles. You seem like you're not a motorcycle guy. You don't seem like a motorcycle guy. I uh I like I like um that's interesting you say that. I like like scooters. Yeah. I'm more comfortable on like a scooter, like a Vespa, I'll, I'll cruise around. But yeah, I don't I don't really mess with motorcycles. I mean I play rugby, so I've had enough like head injuries. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, rugby. Yeah, rugby is something. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a tough sport. Okay. Intense. And I would say for you, this is just guessing like from other therapists I've talked to, a fear I would I would guess you might have is like not being able to get through to someone or not being able to help someone. Um, hey. That's close. It's real close, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's close. Cause my so 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 I think my 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 biggest fear is, you know, it, uh, dying alone, right? And then nobody showing up at my funeral. Mm. That's my biggest fear. Oh man! So that yeah. way, it, it, so it, so in me, it kind of fuels me to help people. Like if I feel like I can help people and be impact, yeah. then I'm like, well, maybe they'll show up at my funeral. Yeah, you know that's that's real, yeah. dude. I, I'm you're gonna have a banging funeral. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm sure. Hope man. I'm working on it, dude. I'll I'll be there if I'm on the East Coast, man. You're a ledge, absolutely. Hey, yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, definitely, Thomas. So I, I definitely appreciate you having me on the podcast, man. Definitely. Oh, for sure. I, Thank you so much fun, for the conversation. Really this is a conversation. Yeah, it was a privilege to talk to you. Um. Your book is out, and there's one behind yes. you, so I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, man. The name of the book is, is Tribe of Men, Understanding How to Evolve Your Masculinity, Find Your Community, and Reach Your Potential. It's available on Amazon. It's a short and powerful read, man. It's a, it's a personal development tool, right? So I wanted to write for – I know a lot of guys are on the fence about therapy. It's still, you know, stigma is, is, is shrinking, but there's still a lot of guys that are on the fence. So this book is like a personal develop, personal development tool that can help you manage stress, uh, manage your emotions. And if you, if you're dealing with trauma, if you want to heal through self-examination or even or there's some exercises in here that help you find your purpose and learn the art of self-motivation and what that looks like for you. So it's a tool, man. It's a powerful guide. It's a short and powerful read to help guys and any reader actually again manage their emotions manage stress learn tools of of for self-care right because i think that that self-care is massively underrated especially with guys they they think that a lot of times that you know self-care is like a, a woman's thing but no um self-care is uh i look at it as um a set of activities rituals or practices that um, help refresh, recharge, or recenter you, right? So you can take on life and the ups and downs of life, right? And self-care is just as important to the well-being of men as it is to women. Awesome. That sounds like a great gift for the men in my life, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. So it's on Amazon at this time. Um, I'm also on Instagram and, and TikTok where I try to share wellness tips 
you know, for people, right? Try to use my social media for good. And on um, Instagram, I am now I'm getting used to all the social media, right? So um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Mike King. So it's ITS underscore Mike King on Instagram and Twitter. No, excuse me, on Instagram and TikTok. And they can find some wellness tips. Um, I also have a website uh, where uh, for my practice, like I said, I've been in private practice now for about a year. Um, and the name nice. of the website is, yeah, Mindful yeah. Actions LLC. Thank you, man. Mind, yeah. Mindful Actions LLC dot com. And they can find more information about how to contact me there. Um, I also have a blog. So I, um, I blog about wellness and mental health. And um, you can get a link to the book there. Or you can go directly to Amazon.com and look up Tribe of Men by Michael King. That's awesome, man. Which uh, which states are you licensed in? I'm licensed in Maryland and the District of Columbia. Nice. Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. Yeah. yeah, man. So thank you very much for the opportunity for me to plug the book. And that, you know, it's out here. It's a tool that, again, a personal development tool. And it can help any reader. So it's not just for men, but it, it, it you know, it can help a, a reader that wants to focus on self-care, mental wholeness, build solid relationships, and even evolve their leadership as well. Wonderful, man. Well, Michael, yeah, again, thank you so much for the time and for the great work you're doing. You're, you're, you're you are changing the world, I think, with your message and your work. So Thanks. good on you. So- Thanks. So maybe my funeral, you know, there it will be hopefully be some people there. It's gonna be a banger, dude. Come on. Yeah, yeah. We'll have a party. (laughs) They're they're gonna have a party, not me. Yeah, have a party. You'll be resting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be enjoying it from above, just watching down. Yeah, but no, seriously, dude. From what I I know of you from this conversation, rest easy on that one. There's gonna be a lot of people. (laughs) Thanks, man. Thanks for sure. It's definitely, man. I enjoyed this time with you as well. And shout out to all your listeners. And, you know, um, just wishing you wellness, productivity, and continued growth, man. Right? So, yeah, so you can keep doing what you're doing with your, in line with your purpose. Mm-hmm. Keep making an impact on the community, a positive one. Beautiful, man. Thank you. Yes, sir. You're welcome, Doc. You're welcome. Cheers, Mike. Have a good one. Right. Cheers. Are you too now? Thank you. Bye-bye.